0: are familiar with the legend of Robin Hood. Anyone? Wouldn't have heard that story? Most of us, right? And Hollywood has made a bevy of money just retelling that story over and over and over again. All the way since yesteryear, in 1922, the silent era, a guy named Douglas Fairbanks. And then if you go on a little few years later, in the 40s, Errol Flynn, maybe you, if some of us who are a little older remember the Welcome to Sherwood kind of thing, right? And then, you know, in the last 20 years, Kevin Costner made his own movie and then maybe in 2010, Russell Crowe made this a movie also as well. Each of them with their own kind of take on the story. But the major theme is this. Richard the, Richard the Lionheart the true king of England has left England to go fight in the Crusades. And during that time, his rogue brother, Prince John, is abusing and using the people of England. He's taking advantage of them, and ultimately, he really wants to usurp Richard's throne. And so Robin of Loxley, or Robin Hood, is putting up some resistance in you know, stealing from the rich and giving To the poor until the rightful king Richard returns and sets things aright. Now, Richard the Lionheart was a true uh, person in history, as well as as John his brother. But unfortunately, Richard was probably not as righteous as the legend portrays him to be. But here's the thing: this is kind of the major theme of the scriptures. God Almighty who made men and women in his image have relationship with him. He is the true king. But a usurper, a deceiver named Satan came and convinced men and women that they would have more life if they rebelled against the king. And they did. So not only now are they now alienated against their true king, but unfortunately, they are also subject to the use and abuse of that prince of the age, Satan. But the king, he's not going to be thwarted. He has a plan to bring back his kingdom to his rightful, rightful reign. A plan not to come back and conquer his rebellious subjects, if you will. That would just result in their destruction. But rather one of redemption, of liberation, through his incarnation and invading history himself. To take back his kingdom. Not a land, but a kingdom that resides in the hearts and lives of men and women. This is the story of the Bible. And we're going to see today... The king put on flesh, and he's going public, and he's going to exert his authority and start releasing people in order that they may be free to follow the king. So let me pray for us, and then we'll get into God's word today. Indeed, Lord Jesus, as we just sang, you overcame, you came and you lived this life, a life that we could not live. You paid a debt, but we could not pay for our own sin, and yet you were completely sinless. And then you overcame by rising from the dead, rising from the dead. Lord, we are grateful for the hope, the freedom we can have in you. So now would you open our eyes to your story, your good gospel, that we might see you for who you truly are. And I pray, Lord, that you will set someone free today. So open our eyes to your word. Lord Jesus, it's in your name I pray these things. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please crack them open to Luke chapter 4. That's where we're going to be today. And if you were with us last week, we saw that Jesus indeed was going public about his ministry. and he, In fact, he goes home to his own hometown. And he is given the scrolls of the scriptures of Isaiah. And he turns to this in Isaiah chapter uh, 62 verses 1 and 2, and if you want to read along with me, it's, it's verses uh, 18 through 23 in the Gospel of Luke, fourth chapter. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, and He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight of, for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then a few verses down in verse 21, he says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. One sentence sermon. And at first, the the people are actually very taken by what he has said. In fact, where did this man give these gracious words? But they also can't get over the fact that he he is Joe's son. Joseph the carpenter. What? You're here to proclaim good news, to set the, the good news to the poor? You're going to set the captive free? You're going to open the eyes of the blind? You're going to re- release the oppressed, the oppressed and get, proclaim the favor of the Lord? And they're, they're not listening to him now. And he tells them exactly what they're thinking And they don't like it. And he shares with them a a history lesson that if they don't receive the grace of God, it's going to go to somebody else. In fact, they want to kill him for it. They have him at the edge of town, ready to throw him off a cliff. But he is the king. He has power. And he sovereignly walks right through them. So now he's back on the road. And now he's going to demonstrate what his words have said as he's going to set some people free. So the first thing we're going to see here, and we're going to pick it up at verse 31 and 32, that the king speaks his authority. Verse 31, Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee. And on the Sabbath he taught the people. And they were amazed at his teaching, because his words had authority. Now, one, uh, we're just going to, do the uh, map nerd thing one more time. So this is Nazareth, right? He goes, this is not down from a northwest perspective, but it is down as far as elevation. Jesus goes down about 1,800 feet. Nazareth is uh, 1,138 uh, above sea level. Capernaum is six hundred. 82 feet below sea level. So he gets down there to, Caper- to uh, the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum. Now this town, its major industry is fishing. It's near, it's near a trade road. It's also the ancient um, territory of the, of the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali from the tribes of Israel. And they have interactions with Gentiles. They had interactions. Some Romans and they found Roman uh, ruins in that that city. And we'll find out actually that there's a Roman centurion who lives in that town. But also, uh, it's near Syria, and there's a major trade route going by there. So, for better or for worse, they're interacting with Gentiles, and for the most part, we think is pretty uh, civil, but certainly not without its prejudice. More playing probably with the Jews themselves. But Capernaum become somewhat of a hometown for Jesus, as much as an itinerant preacher can. But here's what I want to point out, something that's that's not in in this part of the Scriptures. But as this king starts to reveal himself, the words of a 700-plus promise start to come into play. And I want to flip on over. Don't flip on over. It's going to be on the screen. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And it says this, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled uh, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. By the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, the light has dawned. This is where Jesus is going to start revealing himself. This light is being dawned. And so he goes to the synagogue as was his custom, as we learned in verse 16. And he taught. And they were amazed. They were amazed that he taught with authority. Now when it says authority, it's not just saying he was really, he really, really meant it. Or he was really, really earnest. Or even that he was repeating what the scripture says. No, he proclaimed it as though it were his own words. And they were. They were his own words because he is God in the flesh. As we were singing Overcame a little earlier, I was just thinking how gracious Jesus is not to fully reveal all of his glory to us because we would be overwhelmed. But this is God in the flesh standing before these people sharing the word of God with them. And it rung true as authoritative. It was like, whoa, this is really real. I mean, I, I don't know what to do with this guy, but it's like he's saying it like it's really his word. And that's why the, his hometown people were so taken even when he read those first two verses of Isaiah 62. Like, oh, wow. He's speaking this like this is really his word. The people of Capernaum are not necessarily seeing him for who he truly is at this morning. They know there's something different about Jesus. And the evidence is going to be laid piece by piece. Because next, the king will show his authority over the enemy. Pick it up at verse 33. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. And all the people were amazed and said to each other, What words are these? These are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding region. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, this little section, I have some questions. Now, first of all, I kind of go, what is this demon-possessed guy doing in a synagogue, in church, if you will, a place that's worshiping the living God? Why is he here? Again, this region, this region is a place where these people who were mostly Jewish were exposed to Gentiles. Perhaps some of their idolatrous, occultic uh, practices. And we're going to see all throughout this gospel, a lot of the demonic activity is in this particular region. Somehow... I suspect this man or his family were deceived to believe that they needed to open themselves to other spiritual powers besides the living God that might have some benefit. Unfortunately, all that left him was is, is in bondage and out of control. And by the way, folks, and I want to say this. You may or may not know this. But God does not encourage us to involve ourselves in the cultic practices. Whether that's a Ouija board, looking to a horoscope, or a psychic, or or something else. God is one who holds the future. And to involve ourselves in those areas really does open ourselves up to other spiritual influence that is not of God. And it could be very detrimental for your spiritual health. So if that's not something you're you're clear of, I I just want to warn you, that's something that God does not want us to be participating in. In fact, I'm going to just diverge for a a real quick moment here. In the Old Testament, when they sacrificed an animal, they would take the kidneys and the liver out and burn those up. You know why? Because there's a temptation to look at the kidneys and to use it to divine the future. It was a practice of occultism in those days. And God said, no, no, the future belongs to me. And I don't want you to get ensnared in something that's going to be a snare for you from the enemy. Again, Jesus, though, is the king. And he's here to set people free. And as Jesus advances the kingdom well, a little opposition advances as well. In fact, we've seen earlier at the beginning of this chapter that Satan himself confronts Jesus, tries to tempt him, tries to get him off track on his mission But Jesus submits himself to God, he resists the devil, and uses God's word, and the devil flees from him. But now that Jesus is making progress into enemy territory, this demon confronts him. There are three things he says to him. He says, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? The sense of the Greek structure there is, what do you and I have in common? Look, we have no business with each other. Why are you bothering me? Well, the truth is that's, that's not true. You see, you've got one of my children who I made in my image in bondage. And I'm here to release him. The demon also is pretty sure that he's there to change that as well. And so he says, number two, have you come to destroy us? Now some people question, are you trying to destroy both the man and the demon? I think it's, it's, are you here to destroy us demons who have rebelled against God? And I think the answer is yes. Yes, I am. I'm here to take back the kingdom. The first letter of John, chapter 3, verse 8, the second half says, The reason the Son of God has appeared is to destroy the devil's work. And last of all, he says this to Jesus: "I know who you are, the Holy One of God." See, there's there's an ancient belief: if you could name or you could um, identify someone or something, they would somehow be subject to you and to your control. This is a ploy of desperation. Perhaps the demon thought it was somehow outing Jesus, but it does no good. It's no effect because Jesus is here to set people free. And he says, be quiet. Jesus says sternly, come out of him. And then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. The demon had to obey Jesus because he was the king. He had to come out. And he had to come out without throw. He, he threw the man on the ground, but he had to come out without harming him. See, once this man was subject to, to this demon, out of control. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine how scary that would be? But now he was free. He was set free from the king. And the people took note. They took note. What words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. Again, they're not quite clear who Jesus is, but they know there's something special about him. Couple things I want you to notice. Also, if you were with us a few weeks ago when when Jesus was tempted by Satan, what was the what was the temptation, especially the giving of the world? I'm going to give. I can give the authority to whoever I want. And Jesus, this could be yours. This authority could be yours if you'll just worship me. The authority that was promised by Satan, has been gained in resisting him and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, the demons knew who Jesus was before the people actually did. They knew exactly who he was. That's why we need God to open our eyes to who he truly is. And the word about him was spreading. Verse 37, And the news about him spread throughout all the surrounding area. And here's what's interesting. This is happening on a Sabbath day. I don't know if you know much about Sabbath regulations, but there's no Facebook to make this known. There's no texting. People were only allowed to walk so far on a Sabbath day. But somehow, it's like, were you at synagogue today? That was crazy. This Jesus guy, he spoke. I mean, he spoke like he was actually speaking the word of God. And then this demon came and he cast him out. That was nuts. I mean, there's something special about this guy. I mean, I don't know, but you've got to come and see him. But you know, it's the Sabbath, so, you know, I, I can't really go any farther. Maybe you can pass it on to your neighbor. The word spread in this region about Jesus. But as, as it seems to be the case, revealing who Jesus really is, it seems to go better in private than it does in public. And so Jesus accepts this invitation by a guy named Simon to go have supper at his house or hang out with him. And so the king shows his authority over the fall. is what we see next. Verse 38. Jesus left the synagogue and went out to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. This is the first time when we meet Simon Peter in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to see him more in the next chapter. But somehow he had a relationship with Jesus. Invited him home for a meal, maybe even to stay. But Jesus' mother-in-law is sick. She's got a fever, a high fever. And they're wondering if there's anything Jesus can do. I want to say this. I think you all know this. But sickness is not necessarily an indication of personal sin. But sickness and death entered the world because of sin because of the fall because of our disobedience to God as a race in the fall of mankind and we've been living under that death sentence ever since that time but Jesus the King is here to set us free so it says in verse 39 so he bent over her and rebuked the fever and it left her we don't need to think that there's a demon in the fever it's just part of the fall but it, it is a result of the fall Jesus came to reverse the curse. You know, in Psalm 103, it says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. And the next verse says this, it's verse 3, Who forgives all your sin, and heals all of your diseases. Healing is from God. Healing is from God. And at this moment, Jesus is speaking his authority to heal. But ultimately, the down payment of that is yet to be paid. It's going to come ultimately in his going to the cross to have our ultimate healing. You see, Jesus comes as God's servant To offer up his own life in our place that we might have full healing. And here's a little hint of it in Isaiah 53.5. That he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, it was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Jesus, Jesus is the one who will bring full healing. And this woman is healed. And her reaction is one of gratitude expressed in service as well and hospitality. She got up at once and began to wait on them. Now here's something that if you know the rest of the story, what's going to happen with Peter, his her son in law, she's he's gonna follow Jesus. He's going to follow Jesus. I think this is a good thing that she experiences Jesus' healing hand. Because Peter is going to be following Jesus for months away, right? Away from her daughter. Away from the family. And to know that Jesus is the one who brings true healing, she had to experience it herself. Probably gave her grace to let Peter go, if you will, for months and weeks on end. But again, this day there's no keeping a secret, even on the Sabbath. And then verse 40 says this At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ or the Messiah. Sunset. That's the part of the day where the Sabbath ends. Sabbath starts on Friday at sunset. It ends at sunset on Saturday. Now people are free to travel. Now people are free to come out of their houses and go more than a mile and a half, if you will, to come see Jesus, the healer. And he does. He lays his hands on them. He heals them. As we see, more people have demons in them. And this is a a problem that's more prevalent. But Jesus casts them out as well, confessing, you are the Son of God. And again, Jesus is showing his authority over them even into the night. I don't know about you, but this would be a pretty exciting thing. We don't know how, how late this went, but possibly well into the midnight hour. But as with any good thing, sometimes when we experience something like this, we want to harness it for our own purposes and desire. And so with Jesus, the king must clarify his mission. He has to clarify his mission. Verse 42. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place, and the people were looking for him. And when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him From leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. You see, the the people of Capernaum they had experienced Jesus' power and his healing ability, and they, they wanted to keep Jesus around. They wanted to kind of put lightning in a bottle, if you will keep Jesus for their own personal use, perhaps even claim exclusive rights, and hey, if you want to see the healer, you gotta, you got to come to Capernaum. And Jesus did have care and concern for them, but he, the king, was not going to be subject to them. And it's no wonder at the beginning of this, at verse 40, we find him in a solitary place after a night of hearing all the demands and the requests of the crowd, he needed to go to a place where he could hear the voice of his Heavenly Father. By the way, I think that's where Billy Graham learned it. From watching our Savior go to a place where he could just be alone and commune with his his Father. And he knew what his mission was. And he says to them in verse 43, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. <laughs> Look, guys, <laughs> my mission is greater than you. I came here to set you free, but it's greater than you. I'm here to proclaim the kingdom of God. And that's why I've, throughout this whole thing been calling Jesus the king. Because he is the king come to proclaim this kingdom. But it's not only, the kingdom of God is not only the rule and reign of God. It's not just sheer obedience. It's not get your act together. Because God is coming. It's the release and redemption that the king brings as he will ultimately give himself for these subjects in bondage and then rise from the dead and overcome. Folks, that's why the message of the gospel is not, be good. Be good. Do better. Pull up your bootstraps. The gospel message is that, no, He is overcome. And we need to put our faith in Him. He is the King that came to set us free. And He overcame in order that we might put our faith in Him that we might overcome. That is the gospel message. Jesus has done what we cannot do. And of course, we're still in the midst of it, right? We, we're not there yet. But this is where Jesus is going. This is where Jesus is going. And along the way, he's setting, he's setting people free. But again, this is not just good news for us. It's for everybody, for the whole world. That people might be set free. Now here's what I want to say. I I don't know where everybody's at in this room today. But Jesus has come to set you free. He's come to set you free. It may not be from demons. It may not be from sickness. But I can tell you it is from your sin. I can tell you that it is from the fear of death. And it may be things... Maybe other things like anger, hurt, bitterness, fear and anxiety, addiction, self-hatred, self-loathing, or a self-consciousness where all you can think about is yourself. We are all in bondage until Jesus sets us free. In John's gospel, Jesus himself talks to people who who think they need no Savior because they're They're living better than others. And Jesus tells them, look, if anyone is a slave, if anyone sins, they are a slave to sin. But he goes on later on in the the next verse saying, if the Son sets you free, then you are free indeed. Have you allowed the Son to come and set you free? Or are you trying somehow in your own power To be worthy before the king because you cannot because the standard is not the next guy, the standard is him but the good news is you can put the king on what he's accomplished if that's you I, I urge you to put your faith in Christ today verse we often talk about, but I'm going to quote it again. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Talking about Jesus, the King. That whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Would you do that today? Would you put your faith in Him? Knowing that you can have your sin forgiven. Knowing that He can come and set you free from your fear of death or anything else. And then for those of us who already know him, well folks, we need to be careful not to be like the people in Capernaum. Just kind of keep him to ourselves, right? We got I got Jesus. I hope you get him too, but we have a world that desperately needs him. Desperately needs him. If you look I'm not a political guy, and I'm not even going to point to any one specific thing, but if you look at our world around us, it is hurting. It is hurting. And think about the difference that Jesus would make if people would be set free by him. Indeed, he's called us, the subjects he has rescued and set free, to be his ambassadors, to be his witnesses, to go out and make followers of Jesus. That's our mission. So I'm not sprinkling guilt. I'm just telling you, we've got a mission for the king. He's wanting to use us so the king might come and set people free. So we're going to continue with that. We're going to see Jesus call some others to be part of his mission next week. But know that if you have put your faith in Jesus, that's, that's part of our mission as well. Let me pray for us and then I'm going to ask the worship team to come and close us this, this uh, morning. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you did not leave us alone. That you invaded history graciously, beautifully, kindly, but you also were very matter-of-fact with the stakes. So Lord, if there's somebody today who needs to put their faith in you, who needs to be saved? Who needs to be rescued? Who needs to be set free? I pray that you would do your work in their heart and that they would say yes to you. They would put their faith in you. They would say, Jesus, come and forgive me for my sin. I put my faith in you and what you've done. I'm going to the cross for me, taking my penalty upon myself. And rising from the dead. I take you at your word God. When you say whoever believes in me should not perish but have an eternal life. And then for the rest of us Lord would you give us grace. To take this good news. To a world that needs it. And Would you continue to grow us into men and women who are more like Jesus. In our everyday life. <laughs> so thank you for your good word today. Continue to live your life through us and in us. Lord Jesus, in your name I pray these things. Amen.